When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll have, uh, what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Are you even listening to me right now? Hey guys, if you're looking for a quality bow dealership near Newcastle, Pennsylvania, look no farther than Williams Archery down in Edinburgh, PA, just minutes west of the city. They offer Hoyt, PSE, Elite, Bear, and many more brands. Go check out their bow fishing equipment, or stop in for hands-on shooting lessons. Give Ron and Linda a call at 724-667-9660. Welcome to episode 42 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in the Rack Shack in spirit, because he's not here, Charles Headland. How you doing, buddy? Oh yeah, he's not here. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'm going to keep this a little bit short of an intro, but today on the podcast, we have John Royer of Leatherwood Outdoors. Now, I personally am super excited for this one because Leatherwood has been a huge part of like the videos that I've watched on YouTube for like ever. I've watched them since like high school. They're just super cool dudes. They go put out great videos, everything from fishing, hunting, every single thing that you can possibly think of, trapping, foraging for mushrooms, rattlesnake hunting. It just, they cover so many topics and they're so thorough with everything. And those guys, they're, they're absolutely wild. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's get them on the phone. All right. On the phone tonight on the podcast, we have John Royer from Leatherwood Outdoors. How you doing tonight, buddy? Pretty good. How are you guys? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Sunshine, man. I can't complain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for taking time to come on. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. It's a busy time of the year for you, and I, I really do appreciate you coming on, and, you know, we're pretty big fans, so uh, we're, we're, we looked at, we look forward to this one. Yeah. Yep. Well, this is a busy time of year, not only with work, and I'm doing a lot of trying to make some hay with all the rain, but if I'm not making hay or anything else, I'm trying to find time to snake hunt. <laughs> Atta boy. Atta boy. I like it. I like it. Well, let's get right into the meat and potatoes, man. Why don't you uh why don't you tell us where you're from, who you are, what you do for a living, all that fun stuff. 
My name is John Royer, and I from Southern Claren County, and I am self-employed at the moment. I run a farm, and I do some contract work out on some natural gas wells for my grandfather. I tend some wells. So I also have uh, two YouTube channels, Leatherwood Outdoors and Leatherwood Outdoors 2. And so we put all of our hunting and fishing and trapping adventures in PA on those two channels. We also have some how-to videos into mushroom hunting and some cooking videos. And uh, so it's just a group of friends and I who started this. We just wanted to be able to put our videos on a format where we can send the video to friends and family through just an email link. And when we first started, it was around 2008, 2009, and YouTube was just becoming pretty popular. Um, the digital age was coming about because when we first started, we were using VHS and mini DVD and uh, little cassette tapes. And I figured out how to turn those into a digital format. I said, hey, you guys uh, want to film any hunts? I figured out how to edit them, and I'll create a YouTube channel, and we'll uh, put them up on the on the YouTube channel. And we'll just do it all us guys that are from the same area, and we've been doing it the same ever since. Just a way to share our memories and we're not out there trying to you know get on tv and we're not looking for sponsors we're just a bunch of regular guys making home videos <laughs> that's awesome man that's awesome we're big fans because we're from pa too mm -hmm. and absolutely it's really relatable kind of stuff to us so yeah i mean really we're only about an hour hour and a half away from one another as we yep. sit right now which is crazy i would have never thought that <laughs> you know until we got to talk and you know, how relatable and a lot of your videos are. And I think that's why we naturally enjoy them so much. And we kind of get the same thing with the podcast. It's a lot of people that are from the local area or interested in this area. And I think that's what they gravitate to. So, I, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons we, we love your channel, man. It's a lot of good stuff on there. You guys drop some really good content and your editing's great. So. Oh, thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just a lot of us guys. There's some guys that they're really good at what they do. We have uh, traditional bow hunts. Uh, Shane and Ryan and Hunter, they're pretty good at that. Uh, they put out some recurve and some longbow videos, and they also do some trapping. And then uh, I sort of got those guys into some snake hunting early on, so we've got some snake hunting and then ice fishing. Almost anything in PA that you can do in the outdoors, hunting and fishing-wise, um, we pretty much have a video on it, maybe except for a really good bear hunt. Um, but it's just some things are a little bit easier to film um, where we may not have as many fishing videos. It's just a little bit harder to run the camera all the time and somebody's got to be not fishing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's just the way it's been ever since. That's awesome, man. And, you know, I love that you guys kind of do like everything outdoors in PA. And it's kind of been this way for a while for me. If I'm looking to get into something new, like hunting, fishing, trapping, whatever in PA, I always run to your channel to see if you guys do it first so I can learn a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned too through, through just, uh, our group of guys. Um, you know, some of the guys, uh, went recurve hunting for bullfrogs and, uh, never knew that that was even possible or never would have ever crossed my mind yeah. <laughs> to do that. But it looks so much fun. And, you know, we made several videos of that. And uh, got a lot of other people really interested in doing that type of stuff, too. So it is a way to uh, show off um, the outdoors and helping to get uh, more people into the outdoors. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Totally. I couldn't agree with that anymore. 
but let's take a step back. Let's go way back. We we typically ask everyone this when they come on, and I'm interested as well. So did you grow up in PA, and then basically how you got into hunting, maybe? Yeah, um, I grew up in PA, uh, right here. This is my hometown, okay. and same way with all the other guys. Uh, we all went to the same high school, and pretty much all of us, our parents got us into hunting at a really young age. Uh, you know, as soon as we could, uh, even if we weren't hunting, if you know, some of us, if we could pick up a bow or shoot a, a gun, uh, we were shooting guns before we could hunt just to target practice. Um, so we were exposed at a really young age and uh, just sort of took to that. And as we, you know, grew up in high school and got to know each other and we realized, hey, you guys hunt. And then the same thing sort of happened with the video cameras. Um, uh, like Shane Reed and Hunter Ruby, those guys were videotaping and we knew them in school, but we weren't like real close uh, friends or anything. And I had a friend, Charles Boozer, and we were trying to videotape a deer hunt. And those guys found out after I put up a video on the YouTube channel that I could edit some videos. So they came to me and said, hey, you know, we have some videos we're, we're filming ourselves. And we're doing the same thing, but we don't have anyone to edit. And I said, well, you bring your videos to me. We're all in the same area. We know each other. You know, Shane and I played Little League on the same team on Little League. I said, <laughs> you bring your stuff to me, and I'll edit it, and we'll just put it all on one channel because we're all from – all together and that sort of brought all of us guys closer together but now as we're getting older it's a little bit harder to find time to make videos and put out the videos like we used to in the past but all of us still um are all wanting to film it's just now trying to find the time to do it yeah absolutely one of um one of the things we did before we got on the podcast we actually threw a little shout out on um instagram and i actually did a little thing on my story i was asking if anybody had any of the listeners had any questions and one guy actually came on, and he was wondering why you guys aren't putting out videos as often. I was like, eh, well, they're busy, <laughs> you know? Yep, yep, that's that's the way it is. Uh, now, I, you, you may see me more often in the videos because I, I always carried the camera, um, even before I ever had the channel. I carried a camera ever since I was a little kid. There's actually a video, if you look way back on the main channel, uh, we were on the Red Bank Creek, my, uh, my dad and I, and... um a guy that worked for my grandfather, and we were uh, smallmouth bass fishing uh, in a john boat going down the river, and a bear's crossing the creek in front of us. And I'm probably five years old. My dad's trying to run a video camera, and I think he can hear me saying, like, can I run a video camera? <laughs> you know, like, I'm not even interested in the bear. I just want to I want to see the bear through the video camera. So <laughs> sort of started with me at a young age uh, running with that video camera, and it just sort of grew in with, with the other guys. Um, and... But the other guys were used to filming each other. And so as time grew on, some of the guys got different jobs moving away, um, having kids, getting married, things like that. And we don't have the time where two guys can, you know, hunt an entire archery season together in the same tree. So some of the guys had to learn how to self-film and found out that it's, just, it, it's extremely hard. So that coupled with, you know, just trying to find time makes it harder to make videos and it's not you know and we're not under any obligation to make videos you know we we just do this for fun and so if somebody just decides they don't want to film anymore that's cool because it's all about just trying to make memories for ourselves for the future and for friends and family so um you know some of the guys you know they get busy and want to do other things that's completely fine and that's the way we want it to be so 
you'll see people come, you'll see people go. You might see somebody that hasn't been on for a really long time all of a sudden pop up after a couple of years. So that's sort of the way it's been. And we never know how the future is going to go because there, at one point in time, we were putting out a video it, like in the first, I think it was 2012 or 13. I can't remember. We put out, I think in the first week of archery season, we put out four or five deer kills in the first week. Oh man. It was just, we were, it was just like every day somebody's calling me. I got a video to it. And then, then I'm trying to get them out as quick as possible. I'm not trying to wait two or three weeks to put that video out because people want to see what's going on right now. Absolutely. And so it's really, that's another thing, trying to videotape all that stuff and trying to put out videos, it takes a lot of time. So that's one reason why you're not seeing as many videos. But yeah, I mean, you never know what the future is going to hold. We want to keep making videos as long as we can, but, you know, we don't know what the future holds. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. As long as you're uh, still putting out that traditional uh, Whitlock <laughs> video every year, uh, I'm yeah. cool with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of guys can relate to that. I mean, everyone's busy. Everybody works, you know, to try to do what you do. And, and you, are you the only one that edits as well still? Yeah, yeah, I do every single editing on yeah. every video. Yeah, so, I mean, I know because I'm real good friends with a lot of farmers and I know how much work that is. That's a full-time, almost 24-hour job sometimes, you know, especially yeah. with the weather. The weather has not been cooperating around here at all, especially for farmers. It's been really tough. So I can understand where it's it gets harder and people's lives, you know, they advance, like you said, people move off and things change. But yeah. I would say for as long as you guys have done it, you've stayed pretty well consistent. You've done a really well job, not only just forcing videos out there and cutting corners you've taken the time made quality videos and it's a really good channel it's a very enjoyable channel i think everybody needs to go check out because especially people in this area it's something that you'll find a lot of enjoyment and a lot of relation to for That's sure thanks yeah. i appreciate that yeah no problem man yeah but, and i think another thing to to keep in mind is there is a thing called burnout mm -hmm. <laughs> it happens I, I've heard about it with some really big YouTubers that are making videos every single day trying to pump out content, and then you just get burnt out. Yeah. So that's a real possibility because we're literally filming first and foremost for ourselves, not for the viewers, not to try to get subscribers, not to try to get, you know, ratings higher on our videos or anything like that or how many likes we can get. First and foremost for ourselves. And so, you know, if we just don't feel like taking the camera out and we just want to go and hunt without worrying about the camera, then I'm all about that. Mm -hmm. And I know for the viewers, you know, they're expecting that. And sometimes, you know, you want those people to see their hunt and it's almost like you're leaving them, you know, hanging when you stop making videos for a long time because they think maybe something really happened. And really what happened was life. <laughs> <laughs> and so... That's where, you know, we want to keep making videos, but, you know, at some point in time, some guys just want to take a break. Uh, some guys like today, I just don't feel like carrying the camera. And, you know, a lot of guys got into it because they really want to be part of something. And then, but then they realized, oh, there's a lot of work to run in a video camera just to make a decent video. Cause there is some sacrifice in videoing. You, if you're going to sacrifice a deer hunt in a way that a deer could come into range and you have your video camera, and if you want the shot, well, you have to wait for that deer 
to stop in the right place and hold that camera and you have to, you know, get your release on your bow, draw it back without the deer seeing you and hope that deer doesn't move. And if it moves, then you don't take the shot. Or you do take the shot and you have a shot on camera that's either down in the corner or off the screen completely. Right. There's no right and wrong way of videotaping. Even if you just have the audio of the arrow hitting the deer, you should still be happy with that video because it's your video and you can always replay it. You're going to be so glad that you even recorded just a a tree branch. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) it went out of focus or something. I've, (laughs) I've seen it happen. Maybe you forgot to put now. Forgetting to push record is another thing. It happens <laughs> to all of us. But, you know, that's another thing. If you want to make really, really good videos, you sort of have to sacrifice. And then if you're not really good at self-filming, then, you know, if guys are wanting to create a YouTube channel, somebody has to sacrifice a day in a tree stand and videotape. And so that's that's part of going with the whole YouTube channel. But the thing is, we weren't doing it and looking at it as something that was work it was when when you love to do something it doesn't seem like work you know what i mean it's like editing takes a lot of work and time to do but i don't look at it as work because once i start editing i get in the zone and i start it's like putting a puzzle and you can create it any way you want you can make it look really really good or you can just throw everything on there and just leave it all and not do any cutting and editing so you have control over how that video flows and so I look at it as something, sometimes enjoyment, unless I'm trying to rush to get something edited and I have hay to get made or something <laughs> yeah, like that. It's right. like, I would rather do the video than take the hay, but it's like, I have to get the hay made. I can always wait for the video to get made. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. And I can't agree more with that. I mean, editing a, editing video is a lot different than editing audio. That's typically what we're doing, but... You know, it, it takes time and you're not getting paid for it and you better like it because <laughs> if you don't like it, it's just going to be a pain in the butt. And, you know, we just, right. we like learning from people. We love talking to people and, you know, it, it's almost like having a little bit of a part-time job doing this, but I love it, man. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And I think you took the words out of my mouth when you said don't make, you were basically referring to not making it a job, you know, you have to still enjoy it. So if you're not enjoying it, why are you doing it? You know, and you said that you do this a lot for yourselves. You know, so it's got to be something that you enjoy. It's got to be something you love or why are you out there? You know, why are you even filming? You know, so at that point, and it really stuck with me when you said that, because you don't want it to be a job. You don't want it to be a hassle or, you know, and I really respect that you can put the camera down for a day or two and just go out and say, you know what, I'm just going to go enjoy myself. Just going to go hunt, you know, back to the roots. Just go forget the camera, forget the gear, forget the hassle. You know, that's pretty cool. You're absolutely right. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that is a big problem on why we're not getting the youth into the hunting as we are is because we have this mentality that from TV, even in our local schools, we have a big buck contest, not only in our town, but also in even elementary school. We have a big buck contest. Now I'm jealous. You (laughs) are sort of indoctrinating these kids, not that... Those things are wrong. Right. <laughs> but it, the kids start to think in a way that, oh, okay, so the only thing that's good is unless you shoot a big buck. <laughs> they make yeah. it a competition. Absolutely. And they make it a competition. And then, then when they go out and then they watch so much hunting, then they go into the real world and they don't see a deer. <laughs> Guess what? They get cold. They yeah. get hungry. 
they got to go to the bathroom. They don't like this. They don't want to do this anymore. This isn't for me. Because we've not taught them the right way. They've been exposed to too many different things of what hunting is like until they get out there. And then it doesn't take long till they're frustrated. Like, I have been hunting for so long, and I have not done this. And that's the problem. Uh, You're looking at it like you're trying to achieve a goal or trying to get somewhere, when really it's all about enjoying. And we try to, we have a lot of young kids that watch the show uh, or the, the, the channel, and we get a lot of questions. You know, what's the best advice for deer hunters? It's like, enjoy being in the woods even if you don't see any deer, because it's all about just enjoying God's creation, being out in the woods. If you see a deer, that's a bonus. If you kill a deer, you hit the jackpot. And so just enjoy being out there. And that's the same way we have a lot of young guys that are asking us questions of how to get their YouTube channel or their Instagram page up. And, you know, we don't have hardly any Instagram followers compared to some other guys that have been on there. We just recently joined Instagram and we've got messages. How in the world do you have that many subscribers on YouTube and you don't even have 10,000, you know, Instagram followers? And it's like, well, that's, it's not about the the numbers. We don't look at the numbers. And so, but a lot of people are like, how can I get my numbers up? How can I get viewers? How can I get subscribers? And it's like, when we first started, we never had that mentality. The only sort of mentality we had when we kind of first started was like, boy, that would be pretty cool if we got on TV. Hmm. But we quickly realized <laughs> what TV was about at that time. You got to remember, we're talking 10 years ago or more. Oh, yeah. And so when we're behind the camera, we we see the TV hunting on TV and it looks fake because a lot of it's scripted. So we sort of shied away from the TV hunting and the sponsors and trying to kill a deer and then naming all your sponsors like a NASCAR driver <laughs> and just focusing on, you know, just being happy with shooting a doe. And I think that was a really odd thing because kids are like, well, you guys are shooting doe and you're like having fun and high five and shooting a doe. Like I didn't, I didn't know doe hunting. I thought you were only supposed to shoot bucks, like big bucks, you know, and <laughs> that's what the mentality was. And so, I think we see that in relation with kids on YouTube channels trying to start is they they want to be like the guys on TV and they quickly realize that what they're wanting is somebody who either knew somebody or had so much hard work into it. And that hard work wasn't work. It was just fun. But a lot of people are working towards that. And we never tried to work. We just did what we love to do and put it out there on YouTube, and it grew organically just through word of mouth. And now we have, like, Facebook, and we would post, we have a Facebook page, and we would post it there and, and share our photos and videos with others. And But we're not trying to, like, advertise and just try to ramp our numbers up because we know next year none of us might even be able to hunt. You know, because we don't have the time. So it's all about just trying to have fun. And that's the number one goal for whatever you're doing, whether you're a deer hunter or trying to start a YouTube channel, it, you know, have fun with it. No, I couldn't agree more, man. And, you know, we're always talking about on here getting new hunters involved and whether it be kids or whether it be guys our own age that never really got into it and are interested, 
you know, we're, we're constantly trying to do that. And I think it's really interesting that you brought up the fact that you have a big buck contest around your area in school and elementary school and high school and whatnot. And it being about like the biggest, biggest buck and kids passing and getting bored and, and everything like that. I mean, it wasn't really like that around here. I mean, it was, it was always kind of like, I don't know. My family was more like meat hunters, I should yeah, say. It wasn't yeah. really about big bucks. And, you know, I kind of yeah. got into it. My first year was a doe and I was stoked. And like, I took it in pictures to school right. and everything was showing everybody. And I was just all excited about that. And I've shot some bucks throughout my, I don't know if you want to call it a hunting career, but my, my hunting <laughs> my career, life. my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I choose to be a little bit more picky now on the bucks that I shoot, but, you know, I still love shooting does. I still get jitters when does come in yeah. and, you know, it's still just as exciting to me as it ever has been. Yeah. And if you think about it, like when we were in school, you know, you, you'd get back from, you'd have the first day off and then we would even take Tuesday off and you get back and it was never asked, Hey, did you get your buck? It was always, Hey, did you get a deer? Yeah. You know, and yeah, I got a deer look and I had my Polaroid of me and my doe and my two doe and, you know, and that was like the coolest thing, sharing that with friends and, the people at school and it was never ever had anything to do with antlers you know back then it wasn't more of this trophy type area that they're trying to make it out to be and when you first mentioned like hey our our school had this buck pool and i i initially i was like wow i'm jealous that that sounds so cool because to me a buck pool with us was our local archery shop where you know you would just go down and go see the pictures of people's deer that they killed down there it was never really a competition. I didn't think of that and I never related it. And then when you said it, it blew my mind because I'm like, wow, this is actually could be a real negative thing for people getting into hunting, Yep. you know, and, yeah. and going into, you know, my goal first day in early seasons, always just see a deer. If I see a deer that made my hunt, yeah. you know, if I see a fox that made my hunt, if I see an owl that made my hunt, you know, those are, that's the reason we go in the woods. That's why we're out there, you know, and right. And number, <laughs> sorry. And then number two, I got to come up with this idea. We're going to put a patent on it and the three of us are going to be richer than all hell. <laughs> we're coming up with some hunting, some hunting apparel where we're going to make it and you're going to be able to take your, your sponsors, uh, patches and you're going to be able to attach them all over the hunting apparel. <laughs> like a NASCAR driver. <laughs> like a NASCAR driver. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now. That would, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> Oh man! I had to end that on a funny note. I was getting a little too uh, too serious. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's with uh, the big buck contest in my hometown, New Bethlehem. Um, it's by weight only. Oh, so cool. So the antlers have nothing to do with it. That's it's awesome. By body weight. That is good though. Um, I think they started with the antlers. I mean, this thing's been going on since the fifties or sixties. Wow. Every year, and I think it used to be whatever a ring could hang on a point. Next thing you know, every deer had. 17 points because it had all these little nubs and depending on how you <laughs> held the antler the ring could stay on so they're like okay we're just doing it by weight but in the in the in the elementary schools it is by the size of the rack okay. because it can't do the weight or anything but yeah that i mean it's it just sort of not saying that every kid looks at it that way and grows up to under think that way but it's just i see a lot more just because i'm exposed to a lot of emails and messages, private messages from kids that watch the channel. And it's all about how can I get my YouTube channel? How can I get more subscribers? How can I get more views on my channel? And because that's what they're worried about. Mm -hmm. And it's like they want, they need somebody to give them a like to feel satisfied in this life or 
what they did was right. And really, you know, it makes it seem like if you went out in the woods and you came home empty handed, like that's a shameful thing and that should not be. And so, you know, I, I, that's one thing I can point. My highest viewed video is a flintlock video that I filmed in January and it has 4.8 million views. It went viral and I missed a deer. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't, you don't even have to kill a deer. Um, you know, just go out there and have fun and, and, and it just comes to you. And, and when people see that you're genuinely out there to enjoy being in the outdoors, you're not trying to win anybody over. You're not trying to click bait and click title every single, you know, uh, video that you're doing just to get views and subscribers, you know, that's where you're going to have the word of mouth just carry you along on your own because people are going to like, got to watch these guys and stuff like that and that's what we get a lot of comments saying hey you guys would fit in right perfectly with our deer camp you should come hunt with us and we would we love we would love to hunt with everybody who asked but most of the time we're only hunting with friends and family and so that's all all the more we have time to to go out with i can't blame you man that's where you started that's where you still are and that's how we are too we hunt with friends and family and that's it and and you have a blast doing it yeah absolutely And we make new friends. This, I mean, through this, we make a lot of new friends and, you know, there's a lot of new memories coming down, uh, down the pipe here, hopefully. And, you know, I look forward to it. But, Absolutely. Absolutely. But you, you yeah. definitely do a wide range of different things on your YouTube channel. I want to know what your favorite outdoor activity is between all the things you do, all the crazy adventures you have. That's got to be tough. That's a tough one for sure. Because, I mean, you're yeah. out there ice fishing, you're rattlesnake hunting, you're... Well, <sighs> is it, I it? would have to say currently, I can't say this for, for all, because I would have to say, especially in the past two to three years, ice fishing. Awesome. Nice. It, it just, it, it bit, I got bit by the ice bug and so did a friend of mine. You'll see him sometimes in some of the ice fishing videos. And it's just, I don't know what it is, but like when it's freezing cold, we want it to get super, super cold. Now, the thing is, an ice fisherman hates snow. So I don't want it to snow. I just want it to get super, Absolutely. super, super cold. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's just a different, it's, it's just something different. Maybe it's because when I first got into ice fishing, I think it was 2004, I think. No, 2000. I'm in 2003, somewhere around there, when I graduated high school, first time I ever went ice fishing. And there was a big period of time right after I got into it, we didn't hardly have any ice. And I never kept up on the lakes and the ice conditions. And we don't have a lot of the stuff that we have today, like Facebook back then, where we could just go to a news report, you know, and find out instantaneously what the ice is, because there's somebody with a phone on the ice, checking the ice 24-7 at every lake you want to fish almost. But it was, you know, several years ago, especially maybe a little bit further on, but especially these last couple of years, uh, especially with the Western PA Hardwater Series, just being able to go out and be on the ice is some something that you only get to do for a short period of time here in PA. And we're like, we're at MPA, we're like right on the border, because once you start getting down into, you know, the southern border of pa that's where ice fishing is very very rare and scarce because it really has to get cold once you're down in that below that area but 
you know, we have from Erie, and then we have Pima Tuning and Wilhelm and Arthur and Kale Lake. Yeah. That there, there's so many different places, and the same thing, you meet so many people, and I've realized there's so many good people that ice fish. You know, I've just had so many good experiences with ice fishing, too. And then, you know, you can take a grill out there and cook hot dogs and hamburgers and drink hot chocolate. It's just when that time, when everybody thinks there's absolutely nothing to do, deer season's completely over. And it's something where you really, you just have to, you can just sit. You don't really have to even, if you're going on a good hole, you don't even have to walk around and you can bring a shanty and a buddy heater. So it's a little, it's different than sitting in a deer blind. And you get on a good spot and catch a lot of fish, and it can be really fun. I've seen little kids having blasts that are like <laughs> five years old just catching fish. And so right now I would say that would have to be it because I just couldn't find enough time to go ice fishing because the season is so short. Yeah. And we're so fortunate to get the amount of ice fishing tournaments in that we have been, which is I've learned so much about ice fishing in the past two or three years that – I just never thought I'd advance that far in ice fishing. When you start competing, you learn a lot, and there's so many good guys out there that'll help you. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it you you do seem like you're having a lot of fun. You're not running a whole bunch of tip ups and stuff. You're sitting there right at the hole, and you're just you're just plugging away, going at it. And right, it's a it's a different. I mean, when I first started, we didn't have uh, flashers, so fish finders or anything, mm-hmm. and we just went to. We sort of fish like the Amish. And if you ever watch how the Amish fish, they don't use the fish finders or anything, but they're always good at catching fish. And they know where their spots are from memory. So when they find a good spot, you'll see them looking around. They'll find a tree on the horizon over there. And this is the way it is with old good ice fishermen, too. Because now it's the only guys that don't have ice fishing are, are like the really old guys out on the ice because they don't really care to have that anymore. You know, they're <laughs> traveling light. And... But, you know, they'll find a tree on the horizon and they'll find a telephone pole over here and they're looking to the right, looking to the left, looking to the right, and they're looking at the bank and they're they're using their internal GPS, you know, looking at the features of the land to put them on the right spot. And that's how I used to fish, by trying to find, remembering exactly where we were as close as you could to the foot of where we fished last year. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and remembering those things. And... The reason why is because if you didn't hit that spot, you weren't going to find fish, and then it took you who knows how long to find another spot like that. Well, with sonar, and you just drop it down the hole. You can tell if there's fish or not, and you just move a hole, you know, drill a hole somewhere else and keep moving. And we're like, this is the difference between not just catching some fish and a lot of fish. It was the difference between catching fish and not catching fish. Right. Because it it just literally quadrupled the amount of fish that we were catching. Yeah, what's nice about that, too, is you can go across the ice and see an old hole that hasn't completely frozen over, and you can just knock it out real quick, drop the flasher down in, see if it's marking any fish. If it's not, you just keep walking, you know, and you can do that a lot. I've seen a lot of the Amish people do that as well. They'll hit one hole, and, you know, and they'll they'll start trying to fish there, and if they don't catch anything, they're they're immediately on to the next one, and they'll just work their way around the whole lake, all different spots that, like you said, they have in memory, and Man, when that hit is on in ice fishing, there <laughs> is no better thing. Yeah. I, I yep. agree. It is unreal. You know, I remember one time out Moraine, we, we got into it right before dark and we each had three poles up and we caught some fish throughout the day, but right before dark, you literally couldn't keep one pole in the water. 
or yep. one rod, whatever you want to call it. That's the best but, time, yeah. right, right when that sun starts to hit the horizon. Oh, my, that's when my goodness, I mean, good bike comes on. Yeah, they just took off. Next thing you know, we got a pile of fish behind us flopping on the ice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're bringing yeah. in just slabs. It, it is unbelievably fun. And to go back to what you said, that got me thinking that there definitely are a lot of good people out there that are ice fishing. I don't know if that's because you got to be pretty hardcore. You got to be a real outdoorsman to to ice fish. Maybe that weans out a lot of the people that just go out in the warm warm summer and and throw out a line, you know, but you definitely run into some really good people out there on the ice and they're not afraid to help. That's one thing that when you're out there and you're doing it, you don't be afraid to ask because there's definitely guys. We we were stopping at Moraine the one spot, and before we even got out of our truck, this guy just walking his dog was like, yeah, they're really catching them. All you got to do is you walk all the way across this way. You come out about 20 yards off. That's where they were dropping the pine trees, the, the Christmas trees, he said, and you'll, you'll kill them. We went out there and caught a bunch of fish. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> well, awesome. yeah, the, you don't see that anywhere. You're not going to pull into a hunting spot and another guy in the truck beside you be like, yeah, you know what? If you go just over that ridge there, there's going to be about three or four giant bucks I've been chasing all year. You just go right there and you'll kill a whole bunch yeah, of them. Right. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. It's just not. Yeah, and, and guys, now when you're competitive fishing, there's guys that keep their, their secret spots. I'm sure. But, uh, I'm sure. They, there's still some, you know, tight lip. There, there's still some guys that keep some things tight lipped and, and we all do. But I mean, there's a difference with ice fishermen. One time I, I took Shane Reed out first time ice fishing. We were, we were um going out we were on Wilhelm and uh these kids I, I don't even remember seeing them because they come up to his side and said that they ran out of propane for their buddy heater and if we could lend them a but a propane tank and we said, Yeah, you know, a couple bucks here, go ahead. And it was like it didn't seem like it was less than twenty minutes. We looked back and they were gone. And we <laughs> looked at each other like, they just literally took our propane tank. You know? <laughs> They just came to see if we would give them one, and then they went back, and then they left. And we just thought that was really, really strange. So, anyways, we fished till like three o'clock in the morning, and so we're making a long trek back to the truck, and we're freezing. And we get back to the truck, and in the bed of my truck is a bucket of brand new fishing poles, and written on the ice on my windshield is "Thank you for the propane." That is so cool. <laughs> and there was like fifty dollars worth of brand new ice fishing rods. They just went so I had to tag on them and you know all the different you know nothing crazy expensive but just uh, had to been like oh probably like i can't remember how many there were i think there was some other fishing line too that they threw in there too but yeah there was there was at least like five or six rods in there and uh and shane didn't have any ice fishing gear because he was he was using mine so i said here you go (laughs) and he's like this is crazy you know that that's the type of first experience that he had you know, he's like, I really want to do this all the time now. And so, yep. As long as weather will cooperate, man. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's kind a, of a tough that's part. that's another thing. Uh, just as when the ice comes and you experience stuff like that, um, it's a little bit different when you are in the blazing hot sun and come across a rattlesnake. Oh, mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got into that because you mentioned it at the beginning and I was waiting to circle back into it. Because my buddy Sam and I were just out this past weekend doing some rattlesnake hunting in the blazing hot sun. And we were not very successful in the sense of finding snakes. And we were successful in the fact that we had an unbelievable time exploring some of the most beautiful terrain and 
finding, I found a shed, my second shed I ever found, and, you know, seeing bear prints and everything else that we did. It was just unreal. But I want you to get into a little bit about rattlesnake hunting. Maybe how you even got into rattlesnake hunting to start. Maybe that's a good place to start. Well, how I got into it is a, a friend of mine and his uncle, we were up in uh, around that area, and we were coming down off one of the hills, and my friend just happened to look into the culvert ditch, and he saw a timber rattlesnake. And he, I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, there's two of them. And there was a male and a female, uh, or not a male and a female. There was a, a yellow face and a black face uh, laying in the culvert ditch. and. So he said, hey, you know, people are hearing about rattlesnakes um, being close to the camp. Would you guys want to get your snake permit and go hunting the next year? We're like, you, there's a snake license? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. we didn't even know that even existed. And so we're like, yeah, we'll do that. So we got a couple friends the next year, and we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, and we thought, well... Where do you look for snakes? I don't know. We'll go up on top of the mountain like we did the last time and find a place where there's rocks and sun. And so we stop the truck. We get out of the truck and there's like a, a little section of rocks and around each rock there's a little bit of brush between each one. And I get out on the first rock and I jump to the second rock, getting ready to jump on the third rock. And there's like a 45 inch black face laying out right on that rock, <laughs> not curled up, just laying flat along. And like I'm no more than 20 yards from the truck. and that was the first rattlesnake we ever found and so we've been going up ever since and going to different places and that was before the size and sex requirement and regulations put on the snakes at that time a rattlesnake was a rattlesnake Uh, you could keep male female no matter what length or whatever and um so that's how we got started into it and then a group of us guys uh, we sort of had the tradition of going up into that area every year, and we would hunt in the morning, and we'd stop by the Cinema Honing Sportsman's Club for the snake roundup and just kind of see what kind of snakes were being brought in. And then we would go fishing in the evening and hit a native trout stream because it wasn't all about just hunting from the, you know, we didn't even get out at the crack of daylight. I mean, we got up, we had a big breakfast, we took our time, we were in no hurry to get out, and so we might have got on spot by like 9.30, 10 o'clock, at our hunting spot and that's you know how our weekends would would go and we would do that for maybe the first and second weekend and then throughout the season we would basically just some of us would go back up to the same spots and we would hit the same spots a lot and it was amazing how many snakes were but then it's like after you over the years you you keep so many snakes because you're allowed one a year now well it's been that way since i started hunting and you have to go way further back. But anyways, one a year, and then being at 42 inches in length, and it's like, okay, now there's like this size requirement. We've found multiple 42s and 45s and 47s. It's like, let's see if we can hit that 50-inch mark. And so when we decided to start hitting, trying to find the biggest snake we could possibly find and letting those other legal snakes go... Then we got into exploring new places, and it's like, why weren't we doing this to begin with? Um, because, yeah, we had a lot of fun just going out on the same places, but then it's like, we should have been exploring so many different places, whether we found snakes or not, because it's so much fun just to be in places that you've never been and see um, things that you've never seen. 
not only the wildlife, you'll see big bucks and bears like you said, maybe a bobcat or an elk comes out on the line, but also just rock outcroppings and the lay of the land and scenic vistas and stuff like that, that you would never be there if you weren't snake hunting. You would never walk through the heat of the day out through there (laughs) in the woods and to see stuff like that. And we've gone on a lot of wild goose chases where you hear some guy, you know, at the, you know, the guy that's always at the local sportsman shop that, oh yeah, we heard there's big rattlesnakes down here. Go down here and check, you know. Well, we would go down there and check and, you know, there's houses everywhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> we realized we should have looked on a map and looked and see exactly where this is first. Because I don't think they're going to be building a housing development where there's rattlesnakes. Um, yeah, that's happened before. But it's like you have those experiences where then you realize um, when you hear somebody say, I've seen a rattlesnake here, you you can start using a little bit of discernment and saying, okay, this person may not be in the wild as much as what they claim to be. And this place may not have rattlesnakes. So you do a lot of research and exploration on your own instead of taking other people's words for it. And once you find a really good spot and you see what what the snake's like, um, then it's just sort of like anywhere you go. Uh, we've looked on a map and said, well, there might be snakes here, and drove two hours and found snakes there. Never went back, but it's just something fun to do. And we didn't know whether, whether there was going to be snakes there or not. But once you start finding them, once you find them, and you'll start continually finding them, you'll be like, I did not realize there was this many snakes here. But that doesn't mean that you won't find that there's a, that doesn't mean that you're going to find snakes every time you go out. No, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like that with everything, whether you're, you're deer hunting or you're fishing, you can't expect to get something every time. I mean, that's why they call it hunting. That's why they call it fishing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you really call rattlesnake? Because it's not really a hunting tag. It's technically with your fishing license. So are you fishing for rattlesnakes is all I <laughs> <Yeah>. want to know. <laughs> but I'll tell I you. Mean, it's it's so funny, too, because now you can just go to Walmart and get your snake license. That's what I did, yep. <laughs> and so before I was, you know, you always had to mail it in. And it's so funny because you go to Walmart and the girl looks at me like, she seriously thinks I'm pulling a prank on her. <laughs> and then she's like, you were serious. I can't believe it. I thought you were completely joking. <laughs> and, you know, it's just so foreign to a lot of people. They don't even, there's so many people that don't even realize that there's rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania. Yes. I've come and to notice elk. that. <laughs> people don't believe that they don't even realize that there's elk. Um, our video from last year where um, I took some friends of mine from Pittsburgh out snake hunting and um so (laughs) i put pittsburgh in the title because they're from pittsburgh so i just the title was pittsburgh goes rattlesnake hunting (laughs) now there were so many people from the city that had no idea that there was rattlesnakes in pennsylvania from that and but at the same time if you watch that video you can see and what that's what another thing we want to do with the videos is to teach people about the rattlesnakes not that there's we want to debunk the myth that uh, every good snake is a dead rattlesnake. Um, you know, and that's not true because they do play a vital role. They're also a sign of pristine habitat and forests and stuff. So, you know, when you see rattlesnakes, you know, you're in a very wild place that hasn't been disturbed by people that much. But we want to show that they're not trying to attack you. They would rather get away 
the moment they realize that they're in danger. And, you know, sometimes they don't rattle because they're trying to use their camouflage to hide from you. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to trust in my camouflage that you just don't see me, so I'm not going to rattle. That that happens too, but that doesn't mean that they're wanting to come after you. And you'll see that in that video where they learn very quickly how skittish they are and hesitant they are in getting close to a snake. And by the second day, they're just walking over like it's nothing, like they've been doing it for years, just picking up a <laughs> rattlesnake like it's nothing. And they're like, you're you're right. These things are completely not like what we thought. They're not going to come out and get you, and they're not going to, you know, reach halfway up your body to bite you, because I've hardly ever seen one go up higher than my ankle when they bite, because it's almost you have to really be in there with the snake to get them to bite you. And so that I want people to learn that, you know, you don't have to kill every single one that you see. You know, it's not about trying to get rid of them. And, you know, people try to swerve on the road to hit them when they're crossing the road. Because up in north central PA, you'll see that a lot. You'll see them getting hit on the road. But that, again, is a testament to how many snakes are actually out there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've known that rattlesnakes have been around. Since I was little, fishing up on the Allegheny River and stuff like that, my uncles always pointed out, you know, stay away from these areas and stuff. You don't want to run into them or whatnot. But, you know, you're actually kind of putting my mind at ease a little bit right right now. I'm Personally, I'm terrified <laughs> of snakes. You know, you noticed, I know you looked at our Instagram post and saw Charles out there. There was a reason why I wasn't there. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of snakes. And, you know, he was like, oh, I'm going to go anyway. And I was like, well, is someone going with you? And he was like, yeah, Sam. I was like, oh, thank God. I don't got to go. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And we've actually got at least a couple guys out of the years we've been doing this that are just absolutely terrified of snakes to actually go with us. And... You know, they're not going to be any, I mean, they got the snake proof boots, even though they're like, they're not going to be anywhere near the brush and they're going to be surrounded by like five other snake hunters and everything else. And they, you could see a difference. They're like, okay, it's not that bad. It's <laughs> yeah. not that bad. Um, I mean, we, we, we go with, there's a guy usually on opening day that goes with us and he wants nothing to do with the snakes. But he comes with us in shorts and tennis shoes. Oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> because when he first started with us, I mean, he had, he was borrowing our chaps and everything because he's like, I don't, I, I'm not going anywhere near these things. But over the years, he still can't stand to be around the snakes, but he still likes to go on the adventure in looking for them. He still likes to see them, but he has a completely different mindset about the snakes yeah. than what he did when he first went. Because yeah. he was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm getting anywhere close. And But he still had this, I don't know, like love-hate relationship. Because he's like, Snake's really cool, but like, I'm really scared of him. <laughs> yeah. and, um, so. No, that makes total sense, man. That that honestly, that really puts my mind at ease. I mean, yeah. I have snake boots. And I mean, around here, there are rattlesnakes, very, very few and far between. We actually, random fun rattlesnake fact, we live in a certain area of PA that actually is the only area in PA that houses our endangered species of rattlesnake, the eastern Masagua, which yeah, is yeah. strange enough. But I've actually seen one of those on one occasion, and it was absolutely crazy. They're real small. They're almost like a pygmy rattlesnake. They're very small. Yeah, yes, very yeah. small, yeah. They're, it was cool, though, but I was still terrified of it. <laughs> yeah, I've only ever seen pictures of those. Yeah. Yeah, the area we hunt is it's actually like a protected area for those rattlesnakes. That's the reason is because it... it potentially wow. holds them you know it's the right terrain or the right area to hold rattlesnakes 
which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, my buddy Sam, he didn't know that those were around here. Mm-hmm. The Masaguas, he had no clue. Most people don't even realize that we have an endangered snake in Pennsylvania. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like John yeah. was just saying, most people don't even realize that we have rattlesnakes in general in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that was the huge. Yeah, and, and most most people, when we first started hunting, the rattlesnake was on the candidate species for it was a candidate for the endangered species. Okay. So basically, uh, they wanted it. Uh, There's a lot of people that wanted it on the endangered species because th- they hated the fact that Roundup. Or just the fact that somebody was illegally allowed to just touch the snake bothered them. <laughs> and weird. But I remember, I think it was after 2015 or 16, I can't remember what video. Uh, now I can't remember what video it was. Though the years go by so quick. But at the end of the video, I, I, I said in just a few hours of hunting, we saw over 40 snakes. Oh, and it was the most snakes we ever seen on opening day. And we've been doing this for over 10 years and uh on the opening day and yeah because i've been doing it for almost 15 around 15 years so it was four or five years ago i can't remember maybe it's two years ago but anyways it, it was right after that video was put on not saying that my video has anything to do with what i'm about to say but right after that video was posted i saw on the news that they took the timber rattlesnake off the candidate species and now it's no longer protect it's no longer endangered or candidate listed okay so That's there's awesome. no listing yeah. for the pennsylvania timber rattlesnake now and awesome. i think the reason why is it parallels with my video in the sense of since i started snake hunting by putting a lot of the videos also on youtube the snake hunters in the state have at least quadrupled i can't say for sure how many, but I know when we first started getting the snake license, it had a number on your permit. And it came in like the silver and gold old style deer hunting license still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it had the number in the top. And we were always trying to get number one. One of our guys was he would send it in like January first, trying to get number one. Never could get number one. But <laughs> some of the guys would get them late and we were like, What what's your number? And it'd be like six fifty, seven hundred. And that was like the highest. Now one of the guys got his license right before opening day, and he's like, yeah, I was like number 1,200 or oh, something man. like that. Yeah. And then I heard another guy say, yeah, I got number 1,500, I think it was. I can't remember. But Jeez. Are they still numbered are today? There so many more snake hunters than there was 15 years ago. Yeah. And more than double. And huh. almost every single person I've ever met on snake hunting out because I've met some other snake hunters, there hasn't been a person yet that hasn't recognized me. So, <laughs> There's a reason for are, that, my man. It's the cowboy hat. Yeah, they, they all know who I am when they see me, and that just shows that even with the amount of hunters, because the hunters are bringing the information to the Fish Commission, which then, you know, they're biologists and stuff. They see, you know, in the report card where the snakes are being caught, how many people are, you know, where they're seeing them, how much how often they're seeing if they're being killed, kept alive, released. And the thing about why that system is working is because the report card is mandatory. Yeah. You have to send in a report card or it's an automatic citation. And so with the deer, they're like, yeah, it's deer. It's not really technically anything that we're worried about being extinct anytime soon or anything like that. But for the rattlesnake, they started... Putting their, there's actually a check mark on the report card that says, I didn't even hunt. So if you didn't even hunt, you have to fill that out. So you have to send it in. 
regardless of whether you tag one or not, or if you even step foot outside to look for snakes. You have to send that in within 10 days after the end of the season. So all that information is going, and it, and every single snake hunter is, well, I would say not every single one. I'm sure there's guys that get citations for not turning them in, but <laughs> the majority of the guys are sending that information back. Right. And even if they don't fill every, because if a guy sees 500 snakes, he'd have to print out a booklet. And he's not going to remember everything. So, you know, you fill out the, some snakes where you've seen your estimated lengths, things like that, any type of information, because that's going to go back to those people and they'll be like, okay. Because the last thing, they don't know how many snakes are actually being taken. Mm-hmm. And as long as people are still taking certain sizes of snakes and still doing that, if they're not getting that many people seeing things, they, you never know. They could make a rule change where the length has to be longer, or maybe they'll restricted into a drawing type license. You don't know what could be down the pipeline just because of lack of information. But we do know that we have an abundance of snakes, enough to the point where they felt confident to take them off the candidate species, even with the tremendous increase of hunters in the state. So that there alone is a testament. And at the same time, they have the universities around the state going to these historical den sites doing the Pennsylvania Rattlesnake Survey where they're documenting all of the known dens and gestation sites that they can possibly find in the state. And then they can monitor those over long periods of time. Yeah. Because the rattlesnakes take forever to repopulate. But that doesn't mean that because they take a long time to repopulate in a certain area, it doesn't mean that if they're doing very well, they can expand their territory oh, wider. Um, so, yeah. Hey, I man. think uh, that's just really good news that uh, saying that we have a lot of rattlesnakes in PA. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's not good news for Austin over there. I think he's shaking a little bit. <laughs> Do they but still that number? Give you confidence when the next time you guys go out. I know. Oh, bummer. I guess you guys are going to have to stay tuned for part two of the episode. It continues to be a great episode. And. I think you guys will really enjoy it, but a special thanks to John for coming on the podcast, taking time out of his night, and really just giving us an opportunity to pick his brain about snake hunting and everything else. Make sure you guys go over to YouTube and subscribe. Make sure you guys like some videos, watch some videos. I mean, they have so many things, so just go through their whole library and just watch them all. Also, go over to Facebook and Instagram and give them a follow and a like on there. And if you guys could do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, that would be greatly appreciated. It helps us so much. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Go Wild, and Twitter at the White Tail Distraction Podcast. You can also feel free to send us an email if you're feeling frisky. You don't have to, but you can. I'm here. (laughs) All right, guys. Until next week, the distraction is real. Enjoy your weekend.